So we are um, beginning a new series of messages um, for for the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is um, this uh, this time of uh, kind of sober period of time in the in the life of the church. It's a time of of reflection and repentance, and and um, it's not commanded in Scripture. If you've uh, come from a different tradition and they didn't they didn't observe Lent in uh, in that tradition, that's okay. Um, nobody's going to make you give anything up here. Um, uh, uh, I hope we're not going to beat you up over, over Lent or anything like that. Um, but, but the reason we observe it is because um, uh, someone, someone said once that, that uh, you, can't, you can't have the wow unless you've had the woe. So without the W-O-E, you can't have the W-O-W. You can't have the wow unless you've got some woe. So part of the, part of the purpose of Lent is to give us the opportunity to reflect on on what it is that makes Easter such a good time. So we're going to be we're going to be uh, uh, moving in the direction of Easter, but uh, but doing it from a position of of uh, what is it that that makes Easter good news. So that's what we're going to be doing. And I was trying to think of a way to to kind of tie that that journey together. And it occurred to me that that we start in a garden, we start in the Garden of Eden, and we end up um, uh, in a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And I thought to myself, well, how about gardens? How about if we spend some time looking at different passages of Scripture that relate to gardens and orchards and vineyards and things like that, and and maybe kind of try to, to look at the story of Lent through that lens. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. And um, um, uh, that's that's kind of the, the approach we'll be taking, and we'll be looking at it today, beginning with uh, the, the story of the Garden of Eden. Um, there's something I do, and, and maybe you don't, um, but I do this because I'm kind of a jerk this way. Um, when I read the Bible, which is kind of an occupational hazard, I have to do this a lot. Um, when I read the Bible, I compare myself to the people in, in the scriptures and, and in order to make myself look good. So, so I'll be reading the Bible, and I'll see Jesus, who's having an argument with some mean religious people, and I'll find myself kind of going, all right, Jesus, you know, put it to them. Those nasty Pharisees, you know, they have a mean religious bent to them. And I'm not like that. I'm much better than they are. I, I never have a mean or small religion. Not me. No, sir. Um, and, and maybe I'll be reading the story about the, uh, the Israelites, right? They've, they've, uh, they've been brought through the Red Sea and they've, they've come to the base of the, the mountain of God at Horeb. And Moses is up on the top of the mountain, he's getting the Ten Commandments. And next thing you know, the Israelites are dancing around a golden calf. And I say to myself, you silly Israelites, what a bunch of dummies you must be. How could you possibly forget all the good things that God has done for you so recently? I never do that. I never do that. I'm, I'm a good guy. I never do this. Or maybe, maybe, um, uh, maybe how about King David, right? I'll look at King David, and I know this is kind of uh, uh, ducks in a barrel, um, Fish in a barrel, uh, shooting, sitting ducks, however that goes. Um, you know, I'll look at David and I'll say, David, you know, you know, you're supposed to be at war with the rest of your troops. You shouldn't be at home sleeping till noon and then peeping in the bathroom of the lady next door. Um, that's just not a good, that's just not going to end well. And, and that's actually one I actually don't do so far. Um, with God's grace, maybe never. Um, so, um, so I, I compare myself to people in the scriptures. Uh, because I want to be better than they are, right? You know, I know I've got my problems, but but it's helpful for me sometimes to look at these scriptures and say, well, at least I'm not like that. So, so I do that, and it's probably a bad idea. Um, but um, this is not a passage where I do that. Um, in in Genesis, I can't I can't do that because 
I identify too closely with the people in here. Um, it's too easy to see myself. I can't, I can't pretend that somehow I'm better than they are. I can see uh, very easily how I am just like they are. Um, uh, there's a, there's a singer-songwriter named Sarah Groven. If you're not familiar with her works, give yourself a treat for Lent. Uh, buy one of her albums and listen to it. Uh, you will not be disappointed. It doesn't matter which one. You'll wind up with her old catalog because she's that good. Um, she's got a song called Generations, and in it she says, if she was honest with herself, then if it was her standing next to the tree, her mouth and her hands would be covered with fruit. And I know I'm the same way. I would totally have devoured the fruit on the tree. And I know that Sarah and I are not alone because we have this phrase in our language, the forbidden fruit. We know what a forbidden fruit is. A forbidden fruit is that thing that we do and we know we shouldn't and we know it's not going to end well and we see it a long way in advance and we know this is not going to be the right thing to do and we do it anyway. We, we know what a forbidden fruit is. We know, we know it's that thing that is not a good idea and yet we do it anyway. We, we know uh, it, it's the thing that, that has power over us. There's a country and western song. There would, of course, be a country and western song about this. Um, uh, I know, um, I, I don't know who, who wrote it, but the version I heard was recorded by Willie Nelson, and it goes like this. It says, it says um, I got to get drunk, and I sure do dread it, because I know just what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend all my money calling every woman honey and wind up singing the blues. That is the forbidden fruit. It is that, 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 uh, urge, that, 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 that uh, sense of being drawn along a path where you say to yourself, why am I doing this? And even so, you do it. You seem, you seem uh, incapable of turning away from the path of the forbidden fruit. And depending on who you are, maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that thing you do that gets on other people's nerves. Maybe it's that thing the doctor said you really need to stop. Maybe it's that thing that makes the kids wince when you do it. Maybe, maybe it's that thing that you, you promised you'd stop. Maybe it's the thing you're trying to cut down on. Maybe it's the thing that wrecked your marriage. Maybe it's that thing that destroyed your finances. Maybe it's the thing that got you put on academic probation. Or, or for some of us, maybe it's the thing that got us put on regular probation. Um, it's, it's that thing we'd be mortified if anybody knew about us. It's that thing that stays in Vegas. Forbidden fruit is that thing that we do even though we know we shouldn't. And my guess is most of you knew what that forbidden fruit was. You knew even though we're all different and for every one of us it was something different. We know what the forbidden fruit is, and we know the power it has over us, and we wonder, why is that? Why is it I can see, I can see a long way in advance, this is not going to end well, and yet I feel drawn in that direction anyway. The answer according to Scripture, according to the book of Genesis, is the reason is that there is a part of us that is dead. The part of us that is capable of resisting the pull of the forbidden fruit is dead. So let's go ahead and take a look at this passage of Genesis. Now, we're going to look at chapter 2, but the setup in chapter 3, this is a familiar story. You've probably heard it before. You know, if you see a picture of, a, of somebody wearing a fig leaf instead of underpants, you know 
Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve, you kind of, even if you don't read the Bible, you know that much. So in Genesis chapter 2, what has happened is God has made the man and um, he's uh, set him in the garden. He said, it's all yours. You can, you can eat all the different, you know, you've got dominion over all of creation. You can eat all the different fruit here. Uh, this garden is called uh, the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means delight. So you're in the Garden of Delight and it's all yours. Go crazy. There's just one thing here in the middle, right there, is the tree of the knowledge of um, good and evil. Don't eat its fruit. So God makes Adam and uh, then he looks at Adam and says, you know what? This guy's helpless. He needs a helper. And, and some people have read this uh, passage where, where God says you need a helper and they say, well, that's kind of some uh, ancient patriarchal understanding of, of who women are and what their role is in, in the world. And I would agree with that, except for the patriarchal part, because when I read the Old Testament, when I see the word helper, it's usually applied of God. Just this past Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service, we read we read Psalm 46 and it begins like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So Adam is helpless. And so God says he needs somebody more like me to help him. So God makes the woman. And um, and uh so, so uh, uh, God puts them there in the garden, and um, there they are, and that's where we pick up in, in the beginning of chapter 3. So it says, uh, The serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You've got it backwards. We can eat from any tree in the garden, um, except, except for the one God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. So so the woman says, hey, you know, I don't know where you got that, but that's exactly backwards. God says the whole thing, the entire garden's all ours. Eat what we want. Um, have fun. Just not the one tree. And then uh, she adds to something that God said. And, and sometimes commentators will say, here's her, you know, the beginning of the end is when she adds to God's word. Um, uh, Certainly we see in the scriptures, Jesus routinely gets into trouble with Pharisees because they have added to God's word. They've taken something God said, and they've added three or four layers of things that you're supposed to do on top of that. And they say, if you don't do all these other things too, then you're a bad person. And uh, Jesus says, no, you're the bad people and so forth. You get into the mean religious thing. So um, so there's, there's an argument to be made that the woman has 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 made a mistake because she's added to God's word. I I, I see that. My own feeling is um, she may be she may be pretty wise here, because um, there's a there's an ancient liturgy of the church that talks about avoiding the near occasions of sin, and and what I mean by that is if you're asking yourself how far you can go, that's probably the wrong question. If you're saying where's the line because I want to skate right along it. That's probably not the right way to look at sin. And the woman is saying, I don't want to, I don't want to eat the fruit. I don't even want to touch the fruit. I want nothing to do with that one fruit because I've got the whole garden, right? So I don't know. I can see an argument in both for and against what the woman does. Um, but on balance, I would say she, the woman wins the first round. The, the snake talks to her and she says, no, I can't do that. But of course, there's never just one round, is there? There's always another round. Now, in our reading, it doesn't tell us how long there is between verse 3 and verse 4. 
It could have been just a moment. But I wonder if maybe it was a few minutes or maybe an hour. And, you know, the woman's looking over there at the tree and going, what is up with that tree anyway? Why, why did God say, you can't eat from that tree? Maybe it was a month. Maybe it was ten years. But then round two starts. The serpent shows up and says, says, you know, you're not going to die. He says, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then they both fell over dead and that was the end of the story. Well, that's not what happened, right? Um, and some people, some people say, well, wait a minute, I don't understand. In chapter 2, God said that if they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. And here in chapter 3, they do and they don't die. So the Bible's confusing. I give up. And so they made it to page three and that's the end of their Bible reading. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is the people who first wrote this down, they noticed this too. I mean, you know, you're not the first person to observe this, this kind of what's going on here. Um, uh, and the people who copied it long, you know, all through those centuries when there weren't printing presses and, and photocopiers, people have noticed this. They noticed that God says you're going to die. And then in chapter 3, they don't die. So they say, well, what, what does God mean when he says die? What is it God's getting at? Because something has changed. And what has changed is that the woman is no longer capable of trusting God. That something in her has died. She has lost the ability to draw on God's power and even to draw life from God. She has died in that sense. Um, uh, this, this, this fruit, uh, this, this, um, this fruit, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we don't know what that is. I talk to the kids, you know, people often depict it in art as an apple. Um, what does that mean? I had a boss once, um, early in my career as a software developer, and I, every time I saw him, I'd tell him I was going to make my deadline. Um, right up to the week when I went up to him and he said, you know what, I'm not even going to make my deadline. Um, I am so far behind, I, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get done. Um, and he told me, he was so gracious, he told me, he said, he said, well, you know what, uh, good judgment is the result of experience, and experience is the result of bad judgment. And I don't know for sure that that's what this passage means, but, but that's what I think of. I think that to really know good and evil, you have to have experienced them. And see, the woman has only experienced good. The man and the woman both, they've only experienced good. They've been living in this garden of delight, and they've only known good. But when she disobeys, and when he, following her example, also disobeys, now they know evil. And when they experience evil, when they truly know evil, and they know the difference between good and evil, they realize that they have died. They are exposed the text tells us that they their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves where before there had only been possibility now there's limits where before everything was open to them now they close themselves off 
It's really kind of bad news. You know, I think this is a place where a lot of people get to the Bible, you know, they're trying to read the Bible and they get to page three and they say, you know what, this is a downer. I don't want to read this. It it hits too close to home. Uh, But the good news is the Bible front loads the bad news. Uh, 95% of all the bad news in the Bible is right here on this page. Because you see what happens after this is the good news starts. See, what happens next is God comes walking through the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and the woman hid themselves. They are as good at hiding from God as from one another. Um, but, but God is not hiding. God does not go off in a snit. God does not get his feelings hurt and say, well, that's it. Okay, you guys made your own bed. You can lie in it. You guys, you guys can just stew in your own juices for all I care. God doesn't do that. God continues to be in relation to them and, and to do so in a way that they can still perceive God at work in creation. They hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. See, the bad news of the Bible is concentrated in the front. But from this point forward, the rest of the Bible is the story of God fixing this problem. It is the story of how God jumps into our story and begins bringing healing and grace into it. See, God longs to be in relation with each one of us, each one of you, every bit as much as he longs to be in relationship with the man and the woman in the story. And we hide. We we think of the way we have given in to that thing, that thing, that forbidden fruit in our lives, and we say, it's too late for me, I'm dead. Move on, go to somebody else. And God says, yes, you are dead. But I am in the business of resurrection. And if you let me, I will jump into your life and I will begin healing every part of you that has died. And I will give you my life and my power so that you can resist the forbidden fruit. So that you can be different. And not just barely, but so dramatically that people look at you and say, what is up with you? You have changed. You are different. You're not the person I used to know. Something about you has changed. And the reason is because God, God wants glory. He wants your life to be so different from what it was that people will look at you and give him glory. That's how much God wants to change you. The story of the garden is that apart from God, we are dead. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to be apart from God. God is ready to give us new life. Thanks be to God. Amen.